You're listening to the Try and Tackle podcast with your host, Province Sports Mobile Editor Patrick Johnston. Try and tackle podcast. Patrick Johnson here, back in Vancouver. I've been, of course, been away for a month, and uh, it's uh, it's good to be back. Still, lots of rugby to talk about. World Cup final coming up. Joined today by uh, our old buddy Curtis Reed. Curtis, you're on the line. You're in Seattle. How are you? I'm doing well. Ready to be back and to take up all of your time. Oh, excellent! It's always always a pleasure to have you taking up our time. Um, Curtis, uh, should. You know, we got a couple of different things to get over, but I suppose we should just go at the right, the big, the big show, and then we'll we'll get back, you know, into sort of the tier two Canada USA dynamic. Um, right off the top, you got a pick for me for Saturday? Uh, it's really hard to bet against New Zealand. Um, really what a special is. team! Yeah, you know, maybe the the greatest team of all time, with arguably the greatest player of all time, in Richie McCausa. Um Love them or hate them, they're good, and they're hard to beat, and They've had the better of Australia over the last who knows how long now. So uh, hard to hard to pick against them. It really is. Um, I've been so impressed with what Michael Cheka has been able to do with the Wallabies. Just that you you think about where the how lost that team was last year. You know, as he was coming on board and brought in almost uh, really as a savior, uh, given the work he'd been able to do with the Waratahs. And he he is an interesting guy. He's very. Um, you know, he he's not necessarily what you think of when you think of a of a rugby coach. He's he's a he's a big guy, he's abrasive. Um, he's you know I, I I don't think anybody says he's diplomatic, but at the same time, you know he he's a smart guy. He knows what to say, and he knows how to clearly knows how to motivate his team. And I think from my standpoint, that's what's been most impressive is just how he's been able to rebuild a squad. I mean, obviously he's made a couple of really key additions. Being able to bring back Matt Gitto and Drew Mitchell, for instance, has just added a dynamic to the squad that uh, that uh, you know has been has been something I guess they needed. They were they were lacking some depth, and then just his ability to kind of reorient the story of of how his team gets talked about. You know, this is a team that still has Quade Cooper and Kurtley Beal in the squad. You know, two guys who have, you know, had rather explosive pasts who have been, you know, were all over the Australian media for all the wrong reasons for quite a while. Guys who, you know, who who maybe didn't have as much of their head on rugby as they should have. And now they're just two guys in the squad. That, that to me, has been one of the most amazing things. I mean, lots of chatter about his willingness to play Pocock and Hooper together, which to me is a no-brainer. Like, put the athletes on the field. People love talking about, oh, they're playing two number sevens. It's like, you know what? They're playing three back row players who are going to help them win. It doesn't matter what number is on their jersey. But to me, the most important thing is the way he's been able to integrate a whole ton of personalities and a whole ton of talent into one big squad, and they're getting results from it. But at the same time, as you said, the, this is this this may be the best All Blacks team of all time. It's kind of it's kind of amazing to say that. Uh, but the depth, the fact that you know you have Sonny Bill Williams coming off the bench as a super sub. You know this guy's you know if he's playing rugby league, maybe the best rugby league player in the world, and he's a depth player for your team. And it's not so much a statement about rugby league, but it's more a statement about him and his willingness to integrate himself into another team. It, it really is hard to go against New Zealand. Um, I, I still haven't come to my final conclusion, uh, but uh, at the, you know, as, as things stand, I think if I had to pick one, it will be New Zealand. Although I am considering picking Australia. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the edges to me is that the, 
New Zealand's been in a final before. Right. You got a lot of Australian guys. Yes, very seasoned, playing in Super Rugby and in the Rugby Championship. But at the same time, it's really hard to replicate World Cup final experience. And I think that's one of the things that will probably help calm New Zealand down early, maybe weather some of those storms and to come back and, and hold on. Well, I'm just excited to watch the the Bernard Foley versus Dan Carter uh, matchup. That to me is that's just so exciting. I mean, Foley has been such a, a impressive performer uh, since he's been handed the number ten shirt. Uh, it, it really is an exciting uh, exciting uh, matchup from my standpoint. Yeah, precisely. I think that's the the key one to watch. And then, of course, you know there is this this Wallabies pack that you know Mario Ledesma. Plenty of plenty of has been written about him and and the work that he has done getting that team sorted out and getting that team organized. I'm kind of amazed there aren't more uh, Argentine forwards coaches out there. It's so obvious that they get how to make that part of the game work, uh, and and that uh, you know you're, they're getting results. So I'll be fascinated to see where he goes next, and I'll be fascinated to see who else comes out of. Uh, the Pumas coaching system because clearly there's a lot going well down there. Uh, not just the fact that they have athletes up and down uh, the country now, it seems, but but that they've got coaches coming uh, coming out of the woodwork that uh, clearly understand how to build a team uh, and, and how to get results and how to how to play the game with some adventure. Yeah, and the addition of Super Rugby is not only going to help their player pipeline, but really help their coaching pipeline because mm-hmm. um, not only is that coach now responsible for 16 some odd games, but they have a bunch of assistant coaches that are going to gain experience that maybe they wouldn't have normally. So a lot of really positive things from Argentina. Um, you got to really talk about them as a the top four team in the world now. Absolutely. You know? And, uh, you know, maybe it's a topic for another day, but this World Cup, I think, has really exposed the Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere divide. I mean, mm. it's probably a little overblown saying that, Southern Hemisphere dominates, but at the well, same time, they did finish in the top four, and they did, you know, beat all their Northern Hemisphere opponents. So um, it's, there's something to be said for that. I'm going to be interested to see where things go. As I think was pointed out, there were, there were seven coaches in the World Cup who came from New Zealand. You know, it was Kieran Crowley, obviously, in Canada. You had Joe Schmidt in, uh, in Ireland. You had... Uh, uh, drawing complete blank in uh, Georgia, you know the list goes on, right? I mean, Warren Gatland, uh, obviously Steve Hansen. There, there is an interest and there's a, a belief from I think other countries that that's the way to go. That move skill and moving the ball around is the way to go. And we saw it. That's how Canada was trying to play the game because they, you know, Kieran Crowley was honest in the World Cup. He said we have the smallest forward pack, and he's been talking about that for a long time. He's and he basically finally said there's no way, you know, it's silly to try to pretend that we're going to be able to, to play tough up front so that's why we're going to play the way we're going to play we're going to have quick scrums we're going to move the ball around the field and we're going to see if we can just blitz the other team and you know they they probably they des- i hate the word deserve but they deserve two wins they didn't get them because in the end they couldn't execute uh, but you know to me that that was the other thing to see was how teams are trying to play the game and in the end you know england is no on results england's no further along than say Canada is, or Namibia is, or for that matter, Georgia is, uh, and and so it's going to be interesting to see where things go. Obviously, the Northern Hemisphere, especially the major countries, have some challenges in terms of how they organize themselves, and especially in their club competition, uh, and and who's paying the big bucks. That's going to be very interesting to watch over the next four years because I really think there's still lots to come in that story that that 
uh, you know, that the players, I mean, uh, you know, Steve Hansen, I think, was talking about how many more games Northern Hemisphere players play because they're playing in their league competition and then they're playing in the European Champions League and then they're playing for their national team. Whereas in, in uh, you know, New Zealand, for instance, it's the other way around that, you know, your All Blacks are playing All Blacks and then maybe they're playing some Super Rugby and they're not playing anything else. And that's kind of, that's how it goes. And and I think, you know, that's, that, that to me was the dynamic I think theoretically Canada wants to go is that they want to have their Canadian guys play in Canadian level rugby as much as possible. And then the rest is kind of gravy. Um, and, you know, I know local clubs may not like that, but, but the truth is, is that you're not going to make an international team by playing in the Marshall Premiership or the, or the, the BC Premier League. Um, yeah, and, exactly. And, you know, certainly true. I mean, as much as we like watching the PRP or the ARP in the U.S., it's the same story. And the, those guys need to, those guys need to, and we'll, we'll come back to that a little bit, I think, uh, in a few moments. But the, you know, you brought up, you brought up Super Rugby and what it's done for Argentina. To me, that, that is the interesting way to go. And that's our segue. You look at Japan now, of course, is going to join Super Rugby and there's sort of real hopes for what that's going to do for the Japanese game. And we saw how close they are. Um, to being in the next level. And I mean, realistically, if they, I, I, I did question your tactics as the pool play was going along. They weren't going for enough tries. They weren't trying to get any bonus points. And that bit them in the ass in the end, even though they probably should have been in the quarterfinals. Scotland was lucky to get through. Scotland, of course, benefited from, uh, Japan's ridiculous schedule. I know something you've written about, but, uh, when, when we look at the tier two nations, what uh, what are you taking out of this? I, I'm I'm cynical. I'm saying this is the same story we've always had. People are always going, oh, look how close they are. They're on the right track, blah, blah, blah. They're about to break through. I, I'm skeptical. Uh, are, are you feeling any different? Well, I think overall the quality of Tier 2 Nations was better than four years ago. Um, but at the same time, the quality of many Tier 1 Nations was also better than four years ago. Uh, you know... <laughs> To me, it circled back to the thing that we've been talking about and we've talked about plenty of other times before and that I mentioned you know, once the quarterfinals were set. If you look at all the teams that missed out on the quarterfinals, with the exceptions of Italy and England, none of them have a really robust professional competition. And it's not so much the fact that it's a professional competition, but like we were just talking about, it's those high-level games. Um, you know, you can send your players to Europe all you want, but at the same time, they're not getting all those high-level games at the international level with their home nations. And that's really, I think, the key to success for a team like Wales. Um, you know, even Wales is probably the best example, of, or Scotland. Um, you know, they just, those players have the opportunity to make mistakes at the club level and then they have the opportunity to spend a lot of time with their national team to come together and, and perform well. And, um, you know, as long as there's a gap between countries that have a professional competition and those that don't, then I think you're really going to see uh, that gap continue. Um, you know, the one exception of maybe how it could work where your home country doesn't have a professional league but benefits you is is Georgia, and that's frankly because all their players play in France and they can fly back to Georgia pretty easily, you know? Not the same for the U.S., Canada, Namibia, and all the others. So to me, that was the real thing that stood out. I think there's a lot of talent in Tier 2 countries that could really be developed and become special players, but they need the repetitions and they need the game time. Um, 
on that note, you know, obviously, you know, there's been rumblings for a while now. And we've talked a bit about it, about, uh, you know, the potential for a, a pro rugby circuit coming up. And we've seen a few other people mentioning uh, bits and pieces. It, it's going to be interesting to watch, see what happens in North America. One of the one of the things I heard from a, a sort of a person in the know who thinks about these kinds of things was the, the, the sort of dynamic, the difference, I suppose, between the approaches in Canada and the U.S., which is that in the end, Canada, you know, the, the it's who is driving the bus, and as you know, I mean, I know a lot of people are pretty have been pretty frustrated. For instance, with say with Rugby Canada, they point to lots of things that they think they need to be doing better, and, and I, 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 in some levels, agree with them. But I also think that uh, you know, as a general rule, Canadian rugby, we we've spent too much time kind of waiting for Rugby Canada to come down with some kind of miracle answer, and and I think we've not maybe done enough. There are lots of examples of it, but maybe we need to do more just on the ground grit work, grinding things out, finding, you know, letting kids know in high school know that there's still rugby to be played after they finish high school, that kind of thing. But, you know, looking for leadership in that regard. But something that was very interesting from their standpoint saying, listen, Rugby Canada is trying to do something to build the game, if you will, and that they want to get players on the field and they're looking for actual athletic results. You look at how it's going down in the U.S. and and the real leadership is you know more is more sort of private entrepreneurship and fundamentally guys that are looking to make a buck and and bridging those two mentalities is going to be the biggest challenge uh, above anything if you're going to have some kind of North American pro circuit even if it is heavily centered in the U.S. and you have a team or two in Canada as has been suggested by a few other people that I've talked to um, to me that's the biggest challenge is that in the end. It's the question, why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? I mean, it's something I wrote about when it came to players in Canada. You look at Ray Barkwell, you look at Doug Woldridge, you know, two Canadian front rowers who are totally amateur, who training on their own time and in the end performed very well and, and, and drew some attention from, from bigger, uh, bigger, you know, bigger press agencies than you or I uh, for the fact that they played so well despite everything. Um, and yet there they are. They're doing it for the love of game. They're, you know, they've made a ridiculous life choice and, um, you know, so changing that dynamic as well is going to be something to change. But to me, the bigger philosophy in the end is why are we doing this? And and if if one side is looking to make a buck and the other side is saying, listen, we want to pre- provide a carrot for young Canadian players and have more kids involved and so on and so on, there's a challenge there. And it's a, in many ways, it reminds me of the of the difference between the southern southern hemisphere approach and the northern hemisphere approach. Mm, I think that's a that's a pretty apt comparison. Um, it's going to be interesting over the next little while how everything shakes out because it's not just, you know, what the goals of a, a governing body versus a private entity are going to be. It's also what do you do with sevens? You know, a lot of the, the top players are going to want to play in the Olympics. And and so how do you mesh that with the professional 15s competition and schedules and different aims and goals? I think we're in for a, a fun period where there's going to be a lot going on, but at the same time, it's going to be kind of messy and maybe a little bit divisive before it all sorts itself out. Um, it's going to be something to watch. It's going to be interesting to see where things play out. I know there's sort of been noises of something coming imminently and, and uh, certainly the, the momentum is there. Just side note, before we go, one of the interesting things, and I'm putting a, a story together on this, TV numbers in Canada have been really impressive. TSN ha- uh, went full on with the Rugby World Cup, has showed every game, has showed... Uh, you know, live, so mostly in the morning and kind of midday, depending where you are in Canada, and then and then played a feature game at night, and the numbers have been there. They've you know been on the order of a quarter million people, which in Canada is a very good number, 
Yeah. And when you talk about all the other stuff that's going on, the launch of the NHL season, you've got the Blue Jays, you know, obviously just fell out of uh, MLB playoffs. It's been an impressive tournament from that standpoint and, and a clear reason why TSN invested time and effort uh, in, in putting it on. So, you know what, you know, I, kudos to them for doing it, uh, for putting it out there. And, and I know the number of people who have come to me and said, I'm not a rugby guy. I, I don't really know what's going on, but I, man, am I ever enjoying what I'm watching and I'm going to keep watching. Uh, that to me has not- been notable as well. So there's definitely some momentum in this country that could be built on if it's done right. I mean, that's really cool. Uh, you know, it's kind of uh, the flip side of what's happened in the U.S. There's definitely been interest um, you know, the, the, but how do I phrase this? You know, there's enough interest that it crashed the website when the U S uh, played right. Samoa, but at the same time it was on a website. Right. <laughs> and that I think kind of explains the problem is that there's a lot of interest, but it was really hard to find because for the most part, if you didn't get a obscure cable channel, that's actually shutting down next month, um, you had to do a pay-per-view package that was quite expensive. So, um, it's going to be interesting how all of those things hash out because I'm sure if TSN keeps getting high numbers, they're going to want to show rugby, but they're also going to try to monetize it somehow. And, and that's where I think the trick comes in. That really is going to be the trick, isn't it? All right, Curtis, uh, thanks for joining us as always. We'll, we'll see you again pretty soon. I'm sure sevens, of course, getting launched Halloween sevens. Didn't even have time to talk about those, but uh, that's going to be an interesting tournament to watch as, as things start to come to a boil. And of course, uh, you know, less than a month out from, uh, the beginning of the Sevens World Series, or almost, a, I guess, a month exactly, pretty much, from the beginning of the Sevens World Series. So lots to talk about, and, uh, you know, lots of, lots of other things I'm sure will come up. Yeah, this weekend's going to be a spooky, scary, fun time, so. Ooh, look at you. All right, folks, as always, you can find me on Twitter, at Rising Action. Curtis, of course, is at This Is America Rugby, and, of course, this is AmericanRugby.com. You can find me at ProvinceSports.com, lots of stuff. Of course, I am doing more than just rugby these days, but, uh, you know, I try to keep things rolling. And, of course, you can look on my Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Try and Tackle. Curtis, it is just Facebook.com slash. This is American Rugby. Beautiful. All right. All right, folks, we'll see you again soon. Take care. You've been listening to the Province Sports Try and Tackle podcast with your host, Province Sports Mobile Editor Patrick Johnston. Find this and other great sports podcasts in iTunes or subscribe to using your favorite podcast app by clicking the links available on theprovincepodcasts.com. Province Sports.